There we go. Can you hear me now? Awesome. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verses, we're going to look at verses 43 through 48 today. 43 through 48. You all doing well today? Great. Some of you are happy, I'm assuming, based upon yesterday's results. There are many things my father taught me in this room. He taught me, keep your friends close for your enemies closer, says Michael Coleone in the Godfather Part 2. And what do these words mean? Basically, you don't keep friends close because you trust them. You keep them close because you don't. You don't keep an enemy close because... He or she is an ally. You keep them close because they are an adversary. You don't keep enemies close because you love them. It's because within your heart you actually hate them. And you want to get the best of them before they get the best of you. So you keep them close. On the constant watchful eye. So you can watch them. Just to make sure they're not going to get the best of you. So you keep them close to keep an eye on them. And such a practice is, is a sign of brokenness. And never forget, please never forget that the world as it exists today is a broken world. Filled with broken people who do broken things. And sometimes we do those things to each other. Because we're mutually broken people. Do you see it? Do, do you embrace it? You see, only broken people need a redeemer. Only broken people need a redeemer. Only the broken long for more of Jesus. Only the broken will actually long for heaven. If you don't long for heaven, then you love this life way too much. Way too much. If you don't long for heaven. Jesus, he, he brings us face to face with our brokenness, not to demean you, not to use it against you, not to shame you. That's what we do to each other. It's not so with Jesus. He reveals brokenness in order to heal it, in order to redeem it. And so come to Jesus and allow him to heal the broken way in which you deal with those you consider to be your enemy. We all need a spiritual healing here. We all do. And here's God's word to you and to myself. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Not only the, don't the, even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's holy word. Please pray with me. Jesus, this, your Sermon on the Mount, it, it challenges us. 
because it goes against who we naturally are. These words and words you've been saying, Lord, it, it, it rubs us the wrong way. It, 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 it pins a nerve in us because it's like, I don't want to do that. Love those who hate me. Love those who persecute me. I mean, come on. Those are hard words. Easy to quote, but truly hard to actually live out, particularly if we are in the midst of a conflict with someone. So, Father, we come to you as broken people who don't have it all together. We come to you as people who, who don't easily love other people, particularly those who are different, particularly those that we have issues and conflicts with. And so, Father, we open up our hearts to you and say, Spirit, heal us. Heal us. Only you can do it. We can't heal our own hearts. We need more of you. So, Holy Spirit, you are our counselor. You are our helper. And so we desperately, desperately need you to help us this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Once again, we see Jesus using some aspect of God's law to reveal our brokenness. Here he uses the greatest implication of the greatest commandment. The greatest implication of the greatest commandment. He uses both of them. To, to show us our brokenness, to show us that we still fall short. And the greatest commandment with this greatest implication did not originate in the New Testament, but it, it originated in the Old Testament. Just read Deuteronomy 6.5 or Leviticus 19.18. And never forget that Jesus is not here to abolish the law and the prophets. He didn't come to abolish them. Why did he come? He came to fulfill them. And he does. Fully and perfectly. In Matthew 22, Jesus has another encounter with a Pharisee who was a lawyer. And this lawyer asked Jesus this question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he goes on and he gives the lawyer the implication of that. If that is true, then Jesus said, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love God and love people. On these two depend all the law and the prophets. Paul says, for the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, all these things that Jesus has dealt with in verses 21 through 42 were leading up to this particular passage on love. Many of our problems with other people is a failure to love well, particularly people who are different than us. Just remember, all these things that Jesus has been dealing with so far, they've been, they've been focusing on the, the last five commandments in the Ten Commandments. Those five commandments deal with what? how we relate to other people and how we deal with other people. Many of our problems is a failure to love well. And Jesus calls us out, just as he calls out the scribes and the Pharisees, because all of us are broken. All of us are. And broken people have a hard time loving other broken people because we get on each other's nerves sometimes. And so... We create a way to try to fulfill this greatest commandment. 
with this implication. And that's what the scribes and Pharisees did. They created a way to try to get around it. So what they actually did, they actually lowered the standard of the commandment. And we do the same. And Jesus says to them, you have heard that it was said. Every time you hear him say that, something done went wrong. Something, someone, someone done messed something up. Someone done did some bad theology. When he says that phrase, you have heard that it was said. This is Jesus' sixth time using this phrase. And it's never to correct the Old Testament. It is to correct a misunderstanding, a misinterpretation of the Old Testament by the religious leaders of the day. He challenges the way they lowered the standard of God's word here. And what is the low standard? He tells you, you shall love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemy. That's the standard. That's the low standard. I can love my neighbor, but if anyone disagrees with me, if someone gets on my nerve, if someone crosses me, well, I can hate that person. And I'm still fulfilling what God said. That's what they did. And our, our version of that is, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Because keep your enemy close because you don't trust them. You keep them close because you don't love them. Who is the friend you keep close? Who is the enemy you even keep closer? Each of us, along with the scribes and Pharisees, extend love to those we deem worthy of our love. And we withhold that love from those we deem to be unworthy. So who are the ones that you deem unworthy of your love? Who are they? We all have them. Who are they? Love your neighbor or hate your enemy. And we practice this. We do. More than we realize. If I went to your Facebook account or your Twitter account, what would I see? Would I see love your neighbor and hate your enemy there? What would I see? Many of our problems with people is a failure to love well. Particularly those who are different than us. But as I was preparing this sermon, I asked myself, what brought these religious leaders to such a conclusion that it was okay to love some people and to hate others? And they thought it was biblical. I mean, what could bring such a people to this conclusion? Because when you read Leviticus 19, it says, you shall, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, for you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the son of your own people, but you should love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The law says don't hate your brother, but love your enemy. I believe those listening to Jesus here thought their neighbor only meant fellow Jews. Only meant fellow Jews. Those who were culturally like them and part of their own ethnic group. Well, that's my neighbor. My fellow Jews and my Jewish community. Those are my neighbors. And so if I'm loving those people, then I'm fulfilling the, the, great command, the greatest commandment. I'm fulfilling the greatest commandment. Now those they consider to be enemies, they wouldn't love. Surely not the Romans. Because at this point in church history, Jerusalem is under Roman control. They would be considered enemies. Does God command them to love the Roman people, the Roman emperor? Should I love that person or hate that person? Based upon their view of the word, they should hate that person. Now, what does the Old Testament say about treatment of enemies? First, it says, enemies are to be treated with kindness. 
not hatred. Proverbs 25, 21 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. That's very convicting. Exodus 30, 23, 4 and 5 says, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey or one of those who hate you lying down under his burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. More convicting. That means if you see the enemy on the side of the road, don't drive past him. Get out and help him. We do that. Now, secondly, you have passages that say, that seem to approve of hating one's enemy. Psalm 5, 5 says, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Psalm 11, 5 says, the Lord tests the righteous and his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Psalm 26, 4 and 5 says, I do not sit with men of falsehood. I hate the assembly of evildoers and I would not sit with the wicked. Psalm 139 says, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? So which is it? Do we treat our enemies with kindness or hate? Am I to love my enemy or hate my enemy? Which is it? Is Jesus really correct in the Old Testament here? He's not. Even though there are passages that in Scripture that talk about judgment upon enemies, the Old Testament never commands God's people to hate other people. You cannot go to a passage in the Bible that, that would tell me and tell you it's okay for you to hate people. You can't. Now, we can, I can see how they could arrive at this view of love God and hate your enemy. I can see how they could arrive there because even the Psalms call down curses and judgment upon people. I'm sure you read of Israel's conquest of, of, of the promised land. I think their struggle is for them, their neighbor was just fellow Jews. Never thought about their neighbor being a fellow mankind, even those who are culturally different than them. There has been a disconnect somewhere when it comes to loving one's neighbor. One of the same ethnicity, one of our same nationality, one of the same faith. Those are who we consider our neighbor, not those who are different. Broken people are very selective in whom we choose to love. Very selective what I love. How do you practice that? It's easier to love those who are like us and those who agree, who agree with us, but not so when it comes to those who are different, those who we consider to be a potential threat. Look at the state of American politics. Is it love? Or hate. Now, on TV, they'll say love. But if you look at practice, it says something else. Look at the current racial injustice issues in our country. Look at the church, locally and universally. Do we really love one another in reality? Not just in words, not just on Sunday morning, not just on Facebook, in the hustle and bustle of life. Do we love one another? Truly. We love people who are in our own tribe, but those who are outside of it, we have a hard time loving them. We say we don't hate them, 
But our words and our actions don't always communicate the same message. Our words and our actions don't always communicate the same message. In a multicultural church like ours, love has to be more than just words. It has to be more than just words. It has to be intentionally expressed in relationships with one another. And listen, there is diversity here. Generationally, economically, politically, racially, there there is. But my friend, Dr. Carl Ellis says, diversity without a clear and agreed upon set of core values is like trying to add fractions without a common denominator. Diversity without a clear, agreed upon set of core values is like trying to add fractions without a common denominator. What is our common denominator at this church? Jesus. It ain't black culture. It ain't white culture. It ain't Republican. It's not Democrat. It ain't money. It's Jesus. That's our common denominator. And when that ceases to exist, when Jesus ceases to be our common denominator, we will fall apart and we will split over everything. We will. When Jesus is no longer at the center, we are split over everything. We are split over how to decorate a tree if he ain't the center. Because they don't have the right star at the top. Is he the center in reality or just on paper? We're mutually broken people who still need Jesus to know him, to enjoy him, to glorify him in unity, together. He has to be the center, not only in our church, but in your families. In your families, and how you do family, how you parent your families, and your relationships, in every area of your life, he has to be the center of it. But is that true? You won't extend love the way Jesus calls us to extend love in verses 44 and 48 if you don't embrace the way he fully loves you. See, we haven't even gotten into what it means to love your enemy yet. We're going to get into that next week. But you can't do that if you don't know how he loves you. If you want to embrace how he loves you. Our problem is we think we deserve it. As American Christians. Because we're Americans. Everybody should like us. And American Christians can be the worst. But we, we're good. Jesus sure loved me. And, you for, and we forget that we are recipients of a love we don't deserve. That's who we are. We think we do. What does Paul say in Romans? God shows his love for you. And while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. You know, you realize that God brought enemies close to him through the blood of his son? He brought enemies close. Through the blood of his son. We forget this. If, you tre- if God treat you like you treat others who are different than you, where would you be? Who would you be? Why should you love your enemy? Because God loved you when you were his enemy. That's why. He ain't asking you to die for him. He's asking you to love him. But Jesus died for you. Remembering what don't we we always say in my community where I grew up, 
We all, when people make it successfully, we say, don't forget where you come from now. That's what we tell them. Christians forget where they come from when you've been a Christian for a long time. You start thinking you deserve stuff. You start being entitled, and you forget you are a beggar at the foot of the cross. You are poor at the foot of the cross. You have nothing at the foot of the cross. You will be lost going to hell if Jesus did not come in Advent. That's who we are. We're beggars. We're broken people. We're saints who became, we're enemies who became saints through the blood of Jesus. And when you forget that love, you ain't ever going to love anybody if you don't know how God has loved you. If that doesn't humble you, if that doesn't break you, ain't nothing ever will. God's love humbles you when you realize you never deserved it in the beginning. That's favor. Grace is undeserved favor. That is what empowers you to love out of brokenness to people who might not even deserve it. But because you've been loved, you extend love. Because you've been loved, you extend love. So you want to love an enemy? Realize you have been loved as an enemy by Jesus. How deep the Father's love for us? How vast beyond our measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his his treasure. How great the burden of sin and loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds that matter the chosen one has brought many sons and daughters to glory. That's how deep the Father's love is for you. He gave his only son. Let us pray. Only the gospel, Father, can motivate us to love. A program can't. Government can't. Books can't. Only us realizing that we have a love we don't deserve. And we also have a love that would never let us go either. It's eternally secure. And so I pray as we go out and and, and into the world for one more week, help us to love others. Help us to love coworkers. Help us to love our neighbors. Help us to love the people that get on our last nerve. Help us. Help us to be kind to those who disagree with us. Help us have compassion to those who think differently than us. Help us to love those within our own household well. Yeah, I mean, because we all struggle there too. So, Lord, do a work in us. We're never going to arrive. We're never going to get to a place where we need less of Jesus. If we do, then that that can never happen. We still need more of him today, the day we did when we first believed, not less of him. So empower your people, empower your sheep to go back out and be salt and light into a dying and broken world. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.